You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. Shelly and I want to wish all of you across all of our rooms of our house today a happy Easter. Couldn't be more thrilled and honored that you're in church with us today and with our team to look at the accounts of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I love today that a lot of us came through the doors and we were ready to celebrate today. A lot of us have seen Jesus, so maybe not with our eyes, but with our hearts. A lot of us have come to know his power, have come to know what it means to be brought back to life again. And so we came today, this is our day. This is the Super Bowl for the church. And we came through the door today. We're ready to celebrate Jesus. And that's what you're feeling around you today. But I know we've got people all across the city, literally right now, and I know that there's also people all across the spectrum of faith in this gathering right now. People with deep conviction about the resurrection of Jesus, people with lots of questions about the resurrection of Jesus, people who maybe went to church somewhere back in time, but something went wrong or they went wrong, and maybe this is the first time you've been back through the doors of a church in a long, long time. And I love today that it's not all about the emotion and the feeling in the room, although I love the feeling in the room, I just want to keep doing this gathering all day long. I love what we're feeling in the room. And even if you're not sure what you felt, I have a feeling some people felt something when you just came on this property. You were like, man, I don't know. I've been to City Winery before, but something feels different today. (laughs) I remember going to high school, but it never felt quite like this when we were in the gymnasium before. And some of you walked into this building here at 515 and you said, I don't know what it is, but something's different in this place. And I just want you to know today that there is something different in this place and it's the presence of God. It's the spirit of God that is in this house. But you don't have to just feel something today. God wants you to think about something today. And I'm so glad that we've got eyewitness accounts of the death and the burial in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul, who is the one who began this whole movement of starting the church after the resurrection, was preaching to a newfound group of believers long after Jesus was raised from the dead. And this is what he said. We find the words recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. But check this out. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You're like, well, what does 
that mean? It means that as the gospel was spreading, as the story of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus was spreading out of Jerusalem into the known world, it was spreading on the story of not a person or a few people or even a handful of people. It was spreading on the story of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who had seen Jesus alive. And when the church was spreading, they were still alive. So any number of them could have stepped forward and critiqued the message or contested the message. But no, they were stepping forward to commend the message and say, it's true. I was one of those who saw Jesus alive. This story would have never gotten off the ground were it not for the eyewitnesses who could give us today a sure account of Jesus' death and his burial and resurrection. One of those was Matthew, one of the followers and disciples of Jesus. And in chapter 27 of his gospel, he gives us an incredible look at the death of Jesus Christ. Look what he says, beginning in verse 50. We talked about this at Good Friday. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So right off the bat today, we see something powerful, that we are not just flesh and blood, you and me. We are physical and we are spiritual. We have bodies that were given to us at birth, but we also have a spirit that was created to communicate and to know the God who made us. You're not just skin and bones. You are spirit and flesh. And God invited us to Easter today not to talk only about the body, although the body is a main storyline in Easter, but to talk also about the spirit. And when Jesus cried out, we know from John's gospel what he cried, to tell us die. It was a word in his day that translates into English, it is finished. What was finished? Jesus had paid the price for all the sin and all the wrong of all of us who had gone astray. He had done what none of us could do. He had satisfied a holy God so that he could clear our guilt and clear our shame that we had a chance now to stand in the presence of almighty God forgiven and free. And the price was paid in full and he cried out, it is finished. And in that instant, Jesus died. His spirit left his body. And I'm telling you, that was no small deal. Listen to what happened in the nanosecond that the spirit of the son of the living God left his body to descend into the depths of the earth where you and I should have gone. It says in the very next line, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, tombs broke open. So good news if you were buried near where Jesus died, because when the son of God died, it was so cataclysmic in the spiritual world that tombs broke open. And it says here that people who were the holy ones of God, people who had believed in God, they were raised to life and they came out of the tombs. It wasn't even Easter yet. 
But the shock waves in the spirit world cause people to come to life. It says on Easter, on Resurrection Day, they went into the holy city, these raised people, and they appeared to many. But look at verse 54. Something else powerful happened in the moment that Jesus died. It says, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. In the moment that Jesus died, soldiers which had been dispatched to the tomb with their lives on the line, they got it. And as Jesus cried out, it is finished, they echoed, surely this is the son of God. This isn't an ordinary crucifixion day. We've seen lots of people die. No one like this man. We've seen ordinary criminals come and go. No one like this man. Something different is happening right now. It is true. This man, this Jesus is the son of God. Listen, they didn't even need to wait to the invitation or to the gospel was preached. They just saw Jesus died and were converted right on the spot as the blood of Jesus fell to the ground faith rose up and soldiers just doing their job and the same people who had nailed him to the cross cried out surely this man is the son of God come on come on the cross and its power brought the most unlikely people to life. So don't ever buy into the thought, I'll never be a follower of Jesus. My dad will never get saved. My mom will never get sober. My neighbor's never going to trust in the Lord. Uh, my classmate, oh, they're never going to believe in God. Don't count anybody out. If the soldiers who killed him confessed him, then God's still working miracles and he can work a miracle in your life today, he can work a miracle in anybody's life today. This is the account of the death of Jesus. When Jesus died, people put their faith in him. It follows on in Matthew's eyewitness account of the burial of Jesus. It says, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. What we've already heard today is that Joseph was a part of the ruling religious council, the Sanhedrin. These were the elite of the elite who made the decision to arrest Jesus and drag him before Pilate. They accused him of insurrection, of claiming to be God, of heresy, and they wanted to put Jesus to death. Joseph was among them, but dissented in the vote because along the way he had come to believe that Jesus truly was the Messiah. 
And when Matthew gives us the account, we only see Joseph. But thank goodness we have four gospel writers to help us remember all the things that happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You're like, well, why does one gospel writer say one thing and another one says another thing? Same as your family vacations that you're talking about this weekend when your family got together. Do you, do you remember the conversations you're having? And you're like, remember that year we went to Destin and so-and-so and so-and-so, and remember you stumped your toe and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, I totally forgot about that. But that, 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 that did happen. I remember now because we all see events and remember certain details differently, even than the people who were right next to us at the same event do. And John tells us it wasn't just Joseph of Arimathea that took the body of Jesus and put it in a tomb, but there was another person there named Nicodemus. And the two of them took down the body of Jesus, wrapped it in a clean linen, it says in John's account that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of embalming spices and they together put Jesus in Joseph's tomb and the eyewitness account says they rolled the stone in front of the tomb. Now, why did John include Nick and Matthew only Joseph? Because John was there the night that Nicodemus came to visit Jesus and to inquire about how he too could become a follower of the way. In John's gospel, chapter three, you can read the whole story there. It says Nicodemus came in the night. You know why he came in the night? Because he didn't want anybody to know that he was real close to putting his faith and trust in this man named Jesus. He had a reputation to defend. He had a position among the Sanhedrin. So he came at night, probably looking over his shoulder, made his way to Jesus. And he said, I know no one could do the miracles that you do unless God was with him. And then Jesus, his answer and reply I believe is the most important thing any of us can hear today. Jesus just turned it immediately. And he said to Nicodemus, not, hey, it's nice to meet you, or thanks for the compliment. I am doing some amazing things because God is with me. He just looked right at Nicodemus and he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot be in the kingdom of God. He cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus understood right away, I'm in a dialogue with a teacher here because Nicodemus was a teacher. And so he played his role and said, well, how can I, now that I'm a full grown man, enter my mother's womb and be born again? That doesn't make sense, teacher. And then Jesus said, exactly. I'm not talking about simply being born of water. I'm talking about being born of the spirit. And he said what we've already put forward today, that you and I are more than just what we see. We are spiritual beings. And sin ultimately is going to take our bodies out. But the greater cause today is that sin takes our spirit out. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. Both physical death at the end of our days, we're going to go in a grave too. Somebody's going to wrap our body and put us somewhere in somebody's tomb. But the greater story today is that sin not only is going to bring us to physical death, it's bringing us, the scripture says, to spiritual death. It cuts us off from a relationship with God and keeps us from entering into the presence of the Almighty. And Jesus said, there's a remedy for that, Nicodemus, and it's not religion. You've got a lot of that. It's resurrection that you need. 
It's not more keeping the law because that only leads to death. It's a brand new life. That is what you need. You need to be born once of water, but you need to be born again of spirit. And he said, the spirit, Jesus did, it blows where it will. No one knows where it comes from and no one knows where it goes. Such is the wind of the spirit. And I believe that wind is blowing in this gathering right now. I believe they're Nicodemuses and Josephs and soldiers and centurions in this gathering right now. And you came to church on Easter, but your eyes are being opened and you're like, whoa, Jesus Christ died so that I could be alive spiritually forever in him. I'm going to preach a little bit longer, not much longer. And at the end, we're going to have a time today for people to put their faith in Jesus as savior of their life. Every one of us is going to have the opportunity to say yes to the account of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I, I have a feeling that somebody's ready to say yes to Jesus right now. And if we stop the message right now and said, we're going to pray and anybody who wants to put your faith in Jesus to be forgiven of your sins, to have guilt and shame washed away, to be made brand new on the inside, become a child of God, a follower of Jesus. Somebody would raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready right now. In fact, I was ready about second song. In fact, I, I was semi-ready coming on the shuttle because I was already thinking I'm really close to wanting to put my faith in Jesus and maybe Easter is going to be my day. But I believe that as we're seeing in this story, people don't come to faith all at one time at the end of a sermon when an invitation is given. People come when Jesus died. People came to faith as he was moving through the city. Joseph of Arimathea heard something and he came to faith late at night in a meeting. Nicodemus came to faith. And I believe somebody probably coming to faith right now. So I just want you to know, you don't have to wait to the end of the talk to put your faith in Jesus. You might not make it to the end of the talk. So if you want to put your faith in Jesus, just go ahead and do it right now. You're like, well, how would I do that? You would just pray right where you're sitting right now and say, dear God, I want you to forgive me. I am so sorry. I've made a mess of my life. I'm asking you to forgive me for all of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place and being buried in my tomb. I want to ask you to forgive me of all sin and bring me to everlasting resurrection life on the inside. I want to be a brand new person. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to do it your way. And you could do that right now, right this moment. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes. But if you want to, you can. You can just pray right now and say, dear Jesus, save me. On Easter morning, bring me out of my tomb. Raise me up out of my grave and make my heart alive. Is there anyone like that across these gatherings that right now you're ready to put your faith in Jesus? If so, go for it. I'm going to go back to preaching now. But if you do, let us know. There's a number going to come up on the bottom of the screen. And if you do pray that prayer and you do put your faith in Jesus, you can text to that number and just let the house know, I just put my faith in Jesus while the dude is still preaching. You're like, Louie, please tell me we haven't become one of those newfangled, high technology, low gospel churches where you just text to get saved. <laughs> no, you do not text to get saved. 
You get saved by admitting that you're a sinner. You get saved by admitting that you need a savior. You get saved by humbling yourself before a holy God. And you get saved by receiving what Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection for you. That's how you get saved. But if you do get saved while I'm preaching, text in and let us know that you got saved while we were going. So we've looked at the death of Jesus, the account of the burial of Jesus, but look now at the account of the resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 28, verse 1. Matthew continues, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, we saw uh, over here, we didn't read the verse, but they were watching when Nicodemus and Joseph put Jesus in there. So they know, knew where to go. But verse two, things changed. There was a violent earthquake. We just had an earthquake when he died. Now we're getting another earthquake on the day he was raised from the dead. This is not a small event, people. This is not a quiet celebration. This is not a, oh, isn't that nice? Look what God is doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, isn't it wonderful? No, this is crazy. The ground is shaking. There's commotion. There's a lot of calamity going on because God is changing history and changing eternity. And that doesn't happen quietly. That doesn't happen subtly. That happens shockingly. So there's an earthquake that happens. Why? For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, why were there guards there? Because we read a few verses before, after the burial, the Jewish leaders got together. They said, wait a minute. He said the third day he was going to come back to life. What if his disciples go and steal the body and then concoct a story of resurrection? So they went back to Pilate. They said, we need a guard. Pilate said, great, take a guard. Four to 40 soldiers. We don't know exactly how many Roman soldiers with the authority of Rome in their hands. Probably some of the Jewish soldiers who arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane went as well. So there's a Roman guard at the tomb and a Jewish guard watching the Roman guard while the Roman guard is watching the Jewish guard so that everybody's looking over everybody's shoulders to make sure nothing funny happens here and a story of resurrection doesn't happen. In fact, Pilate said, Make it as secure as you know how. And so the text says right before Resurrection Sunday that a guard was posted there and a seal, the seal of Rome, was placed on the tomb. All of that horsepower. These are heavy hitters, people. These are not some of the deacons in soldier costumes at the Easter play. These are Navy SEALs. But an angel appears and they're shaking in their boots and falling left and right like they're dead. The ground is shaking. The sky, everything is moving because God is working. And the angel now looks at Mary Magdalene and they other Mary, and he says to them, don't be afraid. 
Oh, don't worry about all the soldiers falling out and the earthquake and all the commotion and the fact that I look like lightning. Don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Don't you love it? Jesus didn't move a stone. He didn't need to. He was alive. God could split rocks on the crucifixion day. Jesus can walk through them on resurrection day. The angel didn't come to let Jesus out of the tomb. The angel came to move the stone to let you into the tomb to see what God had already done. The tomb is open for you to come and see the account of the resurrection of Jesus. But I want you to notice something today. While God was raising his son from the dead, people were in full management mode. Inside the tomb, God is doing what only God can do. But outside the tomb, right up to the very last second, everybody's coming up with a plan. First, it's the religious leaders. We, we need to guard the tomb. Now it's Roman soldiers. We're putting a seal on it. Nobody will get near that seal. They'll know they'll die if they even touch it. And on the outside, man's trying to control the story, control the narrative of what is happening here. But on the inside of the tomb, God is writing a brand new narrative of how life is going to be for all the people who put their faith in him. On the outside of the tomb, all the authorities are exerting their power, but they didn't know that on the inside of the tomb, Almighty God was exerting his power. They were all circling around trying to control the situation, but the miracle wasn't happening outside the tomb. The miracle was happening inside the tomb where God was raising his son from the dead. He wasn't worried about people stealing the body. He was going to trump that times a thousand by raising the body and letting Jesus walk around in plain daylight for a few weeks so that hundreds of people could see the scars in his hands and in his feet. And here they were, even in the middle of a resurrection, still trying to control the outcome. Mary left to go get the disciples. And Matthew continues and says, some of the Jewish soldiers went back to the Jewish leaders and said, you're not going to believe this. Earthquake, angel, stone just got shoved aside like it was a marshmallow. Jesus isn't in there. The seal wasn't broken. We were there. What are we going to do? And the leaders met. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up with a story that you fell asleep in the night and the disciples came and stole the body. Hey, if, if they had a body, they had just produced a body, but they didn't have a body, so they needed a story. And their story was you fell asleep and they came and took the body in the night. Now that would require that you're going to die and lose your life, not your job. So here's what we're going to do. They went on to say, we're going to go pay off the authorities with a bribe so that they'll let you live. That was their story. God was raising his son from the dead and they were committed to a robbery story. 
And God said, there has been a robbery, all right. We robbed hell is what we robbed. We robbed death, that's what we robbed. We robbed the grave, that's what we robbed. We robbed the penalty of all the wrong and all the sin of all of humanity, that's what we robbed. We robbed the darkness last night, that's what we robbed. And you're worried about somebody taking a body. And you know what's funny about that is that it's easy for me to look at them and say, what idiots? And then I think about me. And I think about how while God is offering a miracle called resurrection, how many times you and I get stuck in religion by thinking that if we modify our lives from the outside, we can change things on the inside. But it doesn't work. And God's just trying to say today to somebody in this gathering, I want to change you from the inside out. So I don't need you to turn over a new leaf. I don't need you to get a new philosophy or a new view on life. I don't need you to go to a new meditation group or get in a new yoga class or try to do some good deeds or change your behavior or manage your addiction or dump your boyfriend. I don't need you to make modifications. All that is is like putting layers of paint on a rock. I want to do a miracle on the inside. Ezekiel, the prophet, had foretold it. He said that God would take out our hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh. And in Jesus, this is how. By putting God in flesh inside a rock, God could take hearts like rock and replace them with hearts like flesh. It is being born again. Spiritual birth on the inside. When I was in grad school, I had a phenomenal opportunity in Houston one summer. I was working as an intern there and a friend of mine who had connections at one of the leading heart hospitals in the world said, I got you approved to sit in with the med students in a cardiology operation theater where heart surgeries are going to happen all day. And I've gotten you approved because you're a pastor in training to go there because I told them you're going to walk through a lot of people through their pain. You're going to sit in a lot of hospital rooms in your life. Be good for you to know what somebody goes through that has open heart surgery. And I thought, sounds interesting. And okay, I show up at this place and it's It's structured like a honeycomb where five operating theaters are all around a central supply room. And over each of the operating theaters, about 10 feet above the operating table is a glass ceiling. So if you're on the other side of it, where I was, you see the glass in the ceiling, a a, a little railing around and a set of chairs all the way around the glass, about the size of two or three dining room tables, and then raised seating above that and raised seating above that. So about 20 or 30 people can sit around and watch what's happening in this theater, in that theater, in that one, in that one, in that one, all five of them. And we, we, we show up and I go in and they're med students and I guess other physicians from other hospitals. There's a lot of people in every one of those theaters and Someone's getting prepped for surgery and the first one, and I'm just like, "Ah!" Um, a child is having a heart procedure in this one. Someone's just waiting in this one. I ended up in this one over here. 
And I'll just give you the short version of it because somebody's like, please don't talk about blood or surgery if, if that's where you're going with this. That's where I'm going, so just give me a second, but I'll try not to give you too many details. I sat in that room, could barely breathe, by the way. I mean, I'm about to lose my lunch. There's a guy next to me eating Chick-fil-A and like reading the news on his phone. And I'm like, bro, there's a man or a woman's chest open right here. I don't know who or who they are, but their chest is open really big and there's their heart. The team came in and disconnected this person's heart and put it in a bowl. I didn't know what was on the docket for the rooms, but I knew now I'm, I'm in the middle of a heart transplant. The valves were closed off and the person's blood was circulated out through some tubes around on the floor into a machine, which I could tell even from my limited understanding was oxygenating the blood and sending it back into the body so that the person could stay alive in some way while they had no heart in their chest. I thought surely someone is going to come quickly and do something, but 10 minutes went by and then a team rushed in from this side, four or five doctors and assistants and one of them was carrying another bowl with a towel over it. They sat it on a table and they began to look and work inside this person's chest and at some point, a moment or two later, the towel was moved and in the other bowl was another heart sitting on ice. It was reddish gray. And immediately the pastor in me thought, someone's generosity in death was to provide a way for someone else, somewhere else to live. And I prayed for that family. I don't even know who they are, or where they are. And the doctors worked and they worked and the speed at which they were working and the precision at which they were working and eventually that heart was placed inside that person's chest and it seemed like so many hands were at work delicately and quick, quickly suturing all these arteries back into this heart. And once all that seemed to be good, the clamps were removed and the machine ceased to do what it was doing and the blood now was moving into the heart and somehow miraculously, no one seemed to applaud, no one amened, there wasn't any praise the Lord, everybody was just taking notes on legal pads, but somehow miraculously, a second or two in the process, the heart beat. And then it started beating in the person's chest. It wasn't beating in the bowl of ice, but now it was beating in the person's chest and no longer was it reddish gray. Quickly, within seconds, less than a minute, it turned vibrant, pink and alive and whole again. And they stood back and they watched and they looked for any little leaks or anything that needed to be adjusted. And in a moment, they all just stood for it would seem like an hour and just watched as the heartbeat, the heartbeat, the heartbeat. And you could see all the flesh around the person's body just sort of brighten up and come to life. And this is what God has on the table today. Death has been defeated. Jesus is alive and Jesus can take out 
hearts that are dead because of sin and put in brand new hearts that are alive by his spirit. To be born of water and born of the spirit, this is how you enter the kingdom of God. To not just be alive in the flesh, praise God, we're all here today, but to be alive in the spirit, not trying to modify things with more behavioral change on the outside, but letting God do a transplant of his heart and life through Jesus on the inside. This is what is on the table today at Easter. There is a beating, living, victorious, eternal heartbeat in the chest of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And he puts that heartbeat into the spirit of every single person who puts their trust and their faith in him. Come on, church, if we're going to clap, we're going to clap. If we're going to celebrate, we're going to celebrate. Our Lord came back from the dead to bring us back from the dead. He came out of the grave to raise us out of the grave. If he is alive, then we can be alive. And if he lives forever, we can know that we will never die. Is that night, Jesus said to Nicodemus, at the end of their little exchange, the most probably broadcast verse of all time, when their conversation came to a resting place, Jesus said these words, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus. Isn't that better said to Nicodemus than on a poster at a football game? That's great on a poster at a football game, don't get me wrong. But doesn't it sound even better when it was a guy who came in the night to say, I just need to know, is it true? Are you the one? And he said, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever put their faith in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Nicodemus, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son into the world, Nicodemus, that the world might live through him. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. Hey there, my name is Jason Diba, and if you're a fan of the Passion City Church Podcast, which is what you just listened to, then you should check out the Passion Podcast. There were protocols apparently you were meant to follow at that moment, but there was a contingent of people who thought the old meat tastes better than the new meat. In your life, it was as if someone set my hair on fire. One of those people would be David Crowder. And that was the last time I led in a wrestling ring. 
Okay, let's see if we can make it happen. Up-close interviews with Louis Giglio, Christian Stanfill, artists, speakers, culture makers, and more. Relationships are more like sailing a ship than building a desk from Ikea. It's not just our freedom that's at stake. It's God's glory that's at stake. Surrender is the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. We do the outrageous things because we believe there's an extraordinary gospel. The college generation singing at the top of their lungs to Jesus. And that's why Goliath must fall. Go ahead and search and subscribe now to an all-new season of the Passion Podcast.